contents of this podcast does not represent the opinions of others and is solely the opinions of Harv Aronson based on his experience, knowledge, and research. Welcome to the Total Sports Recall, your source for sports news and topics from a different angle. And now here's your host, Harv Aronson. Welcome to the Total Sports Recall Podcast. I'm your host, Harv Aronson. The song you heard for the intro is from one of my favorite rock bands, Beyond the Black. The song is called A Warrior's Call. So credit to Beyond the Black and look them up and check them out. They're a very good hard rock band. In this episode, we will have a discussion with guest Charles Slavic on boxing. As Charles and I share a strong interest in professional boxing, we'll be focusing on the era we're most familiar with, and that would be the 1970s and 1980s. In this discussion, we will talk about the biggest names of those two decades, a period of 20 years that put on display some of the greatest boxers ever. It was a great time to be a boxing fan as these men put on some classic and historical battles that will live on forever. Today's pro boxing is nowhere near as popular as it was in the 70s, 80s, and even going back as far as early in the 20th century. In boxing these days, there are only a few names that really stand out and might be considered household names. Canelo Alvarez comes to mind, as does Tyson Fury. But those who remember the years between 1970 and 1989 will know the boxers we are about to discuss. The idea for this discussion arose the last time Charles was a guest on Total Sports Recall when we were talking about baseball. So here we are, ready to talk about fights in the square circle, the sweet science, as some refer to boxing. And as while there are many weight classes in boxing in this discussion, Charles and I will talk about just four. We are going to bring up names in the heavyweight, middleweight, lightweight, and featherweight divisions. And with that said, welcome again, Charles, for a return visit to Total Sports Recall. And before we Thanks start bringing me. up names... Give our listeners a little background on what brought your attention to the sport of boxing and whether you still follow the sport today. Well, what brought me to it is like most things that I'm still interested in is, um, you know, when my teen years, like high school graduation type, uh, the late 70s, um, early 80s. So I had a friend that was involved in Golden Gloves um, boxing, which is big in New York, New Jersey area. He was in New Jersey side. So he was big time uh, in that. In what, uh, he was more like a middleweight uh, type boxer. Um, so he taught me a few things uh, about it. I'd hang around with him and his brother, who was sort of his trainer. And I had no clue about fighting. I, I was involved in wrestling in high school. But back then, I, I didn't know either well. But they taught me a few things, how to protect myself, you know, how to um, stance, take a proper stance and things like that. And I, I was fascinated by it. I didn't want to get hit, but I was fascinated by boxing and the sport. And so I gravitated to, like I said, the heavyweight um, division back then, even though I'm no heavyweight, uh, was sort of the the sun and the other weight classes were the... Um, the lower weight classes were like the planets that revolved around the, the heavyweight division. So most of it was um, Ali, Frazier, all those guys, just getting interested in those guys because they were the top of the heap. Um, so I had the interest in the sport from my friends. And then I started paying attention to, you know, to what was going on out, uh, out in the real world. All right, well, let's begin at the top. When you talk about the heavyweights, uh, immediately it's easy to spit out one man's name, Muhammad Ali. Yep. His nickname probably reflects the truth, the greatest. Ali began his career after winning the gold medal in the 1960 Olympic Games as Cassius Clay, and he would defeat Sonny Liston for his first title and then eventually convert to Muslim and change his name to Muhammad Ali. 
after declining to be drafted in the Vietnam War. As we all know, he was sent to prison for three years. Charles, you and I spoke about this controversial life the last time we spoke, and Ollie was a polarizing figure that was hated by a lot of white right. America and veterans everywhere no for skipping out on serving in his country. But in brief, what are your thoughts about that, that aspect of Ollie's life? Well, I would say, you know, and I know my dad disliked him for changing his name and converting to, to Muslim. A lot of, um, I guess, Catholics and Protestants um, thought turning back on the faith was, was one reason. Um, like you said, veterans um, weren't real happy with him for um, being a conscientious objector or religious objection to, to serving in Vietnam. <laughs> Um, so I kind of sided with my dad originally. I'm like, why is, why is he fighting this? Why is he saying uh, I, but later on as, and this is why he became such a counterculture. He was a counterculture figure, um, but turned into a, a hero because the Vietnam war did not exactly go well. So he turned out to be on the quote unquote right side of the issue because he said, what a lot of people felt. Why are we, you know, why are we there? I, the Viet Cong never called me the N word, that kind of right. thing. Um, mm -hmm. Why are we even over there? Um, eventually people came to say, yeah, we all feel that way about the Vietnam war. Why are we over there for different reasons? Maybe, maybe not mm -hmm. because, jeez, uh, how many people were avoiding the draft back then going, going to Canada, sure. leaving the country, leaving, um, and it was split in the country in two anyway, but I think time caused people this to say, and history um, caused people to say, hey, maybe this cat was right about, um, you know, the other stuff, you know, what people do, their religion, is their business, they probably shouldn't be getting involved in that anyway, but I, I get it. They felt the same way about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, right. Uh, that same group when he, you know, converted and changed his name. He was mm -hmm. my favorite basketball player at the time. Yeah. I mm -hmm. thought he was, you know, I'm like, wow, this guy is like fantastic player. He was like the yeah. Michael Jordan of centers. Um, and what he, he was so yep. far above everybody else that they mm -hmm. um, changed rules. The college rule, the no dunking rule was aimed at uh, Lou Alcindor coming out of high school. Imagine mm -hmm. that. I mean, colleges are changing rules uh, just for this skinny kid coming out of Power Memorial High School. Um, yeah. That's how good he was, though. Um, yeah, I did. A, I wrote an article a little while back on the greatest basketball players, and I was talking about his sky hook, and I said it was totally yeah, indefensible. There was no defense against that. Nobody <laughs> you figured, could never stop figured out. But yeah. going back to Ali, I know I clearly remember him saying he's telling everybody that I have no beef with the Viet Cong. Why am I yes. going to go over there and kill them? Yeah. I, I have no beef with them. So, yeah. And that made perfect sense. You know? um, and that's the thing. He was fighting more than uh, more in the ring. I mean, he was fighting all these social issues um, right. just to have a chance to get in the ring because, <clears throat> um, you know, he was getting his licenses to fight, I guess, revoked. Um, you know, mm -hmm. the – they were trying to keep him out of the ring or out of the limelight. Um, maybe throw him in jail. Um, I think he was. Um, I'm sure, like the ACLU or somebody was was helping him fight the fight legally. Mm -hmm. um, as far as what he was doing, I, I'm pretty sure back then they had a conscientious objection. Um, that's sure. You know, been going on since. Mm -hmm. the korean war and 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 the world wars um 
people had that exemption, that route they could go. And yeah. that's always been relatively well respected, um, right, mm-hmm. that people have. And so to me, I started to think, well, you know, why, why him? Why is he um, not able to exercise that right? He, I mean, you can't sure. get in a man's head and say, well, that's a legitimate mm-hmm. um, exemption he's taken, or he just wants to, mm-hmm. you know, go back and box and all this stuff. Maybe he, that's a legitimate, um, uh, heartfelt decision he makes. So I, I don't know that anyone could question that, but. Yeah, and, and so I started coming want, around to that. Sure, they obviously wanted to make an example out of him, and and yeah. the, the the interesting thing is, at the end of his life, he, like you had said, he's super popular. He was a hero, yeah. and I'll never forget the Olympic Games when he lit the Olympic flame. I mean, that was one of the yeah. best moments in uh, his life and history. Um, so yeah, he he definitely yeah, turned like attitudes around. Everybody's saying, "Well, yeah." In hindsight, hey, sorry for how we treated you early, but you know, sure. you were right. So mm-hmm. that was almost like society's way of saying. But I was a Joe Frazier guy. I like Joe Frazier's style of fighting. He was a Philadelphia guy, uh-huh. a shorter guy, and just you know, always moving forward, always um, an sure. effort guy. Maybe not a tip. Yeah. I mean. Ali was flashy and obviously had the skills and was the better boxer. Get it. I get all that. And had more tools, better tools. But Frazier would beat you with his heart and his will. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you got getting ahead, probably when, uh, you know, they had their series of fights, the Thriller mm-hmm. Manila and all, and all that. Uh, yeah. uh, I mean, those guys both proved that they were equal um, as far as warriors, as far as being fighters or warriors. Well, it's interesting you Since brought you started Frazier with the up. Warriors yeah. call. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, with that said, and that set aside, we're going to go right to what you just talked about. And let's talk about all these accomplishments in the ring. When you think of all the, his classic fights, obviously two fighters will come to mind. The one you just mentioned, Smoke and Joe Frazier and George Foreman. Mm-hmm. Frazier was the champion when they first fought and defended his title with a 15-round decision, the fight that saw Ali get knocked down. They called that the fight of the century. Your immediate thoughts on that first fight, Charles? The I'm sorry, which which fight? The, the very first one, Madison Square Garden, 1971, I believe it was. Yeah, that was the, the shock because back then, you know, you just got these still photos of people that were covering the fight. Um, it wasn't on TV. It might have been on pay-per-view. Um, mm-hmm. We couldn't afford that. But to see sure. Ali on the ground, you know, looking up at Frazier being led mm-hmm. away after he got, you know, got mm-hmm. the knockout punch in there was shocking because, yeah, I mean, Ali was the guy. and. I, mm-hmm. Nobody had come close. I don't think to putting him on the ground like that before. No, yeah, and, yeah. And that and was if you epic. go out there. You can Google that, and you can, they do have it on film. So if everyone wants mm-hmm. to see Ali, uh, that was, I think it was a left hook actually put him down. Yeah, you can see the whole um, fight. I think. Yeah, that was a solid punch. I mean, that would have yeah. knocked anybody down. Um, but those two men would fight twice more. Ali won both of those, but the last yeah. fight. Bout number three was a, just a, a war. Both men took terrible beatings. Frazier quit in his corner after his 14th round, and all he said it was the closest to death he had ever experienced inside the ropes. 
all used to toy with Frazier before the fights, even calling Frazier once a gorilla. I don't know if you remember that Howard Cassell interview. Yeah, he brought out the I little do. gorilla. It was, it was hilarious. Now, Charles, do you believe this was the greatest rivalry in the history of boxing? Does this compare to the Mickey Ward, Arturo Gatti uh, trilogy? I watched several of those fights, and they were amazing. Yeah, I mean, they may have, but they, they I mean, obviously, they escaped my view. I've heard of Gotti, and I saw, you know, some of his uh, tape and film of, of his fights after that. And he would have been a guy I did like, but um, maybe the popularity of boxing had waned by then, and he was, um, it wasn't as out front. But, um, yeah, I... I lost my train of thought there, but um, I mean, just the, re- after- the rivalry between those three. I mean, between those two, Frazier and Ali, I think probably is one of the best rivalries in the history of boxing. Um, and I was just trying to compare it to the Ward yeah. Arturo Gatti because I watched all three of those fights, and oh my gosh, if you can watch those back, go watch them because they yeah. were classic wars. They were like I mean, wars. these, yeah, oh like, my god, like these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know that I've uh, seen anything like that. That's, that's what I'm saying. Those guys uh, escaped my view, or um, by then I was as, not as interested in boxing. Um, sure. I think I lost track around after you know Tyson and Holyfield took over mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the the scene, and I think the last time I was still interested in boxing was when Roy Jones uh, jumped up to the heavyweight class, and I think sure. the title. At one, mm-hmm. this is early 2000, 2004, I believe. And I thought that was fascinating. I like Roy Jones as a fighter. I said, there's no way mm-hmm. he's going to jump up to the heavyweight and be able to, you know, I thought he was going to get knocked flat by a bigger guy. Yeah. But he did. Yeah. I mean, he had his boxing skills were, you know, almost mm-hmm. like Ali. Yeah. And, I, and I'm with you. Uh, I started losing interest probably 20 years ago. I mean, as soon as the Tyson exited the sport and the big names yeah. started dropping off. He took a lot every, of air know, out of the room, yeah. He sure did. And, I mean, Manny Pacquiao, I still like to watch every now and then. But other than him and now Alvarez is the biggest name and Tyson Fury is the biggest name. But outside of those two, it's hard to name fighters. I don't know any of the top yeah. players now. Like I used to You know. mentioned Pacquiao. I had some interest in um, – Mm-hmm. Just because of his story and you know how he was revered in his home country, yeah. um, you know, sure. run for president, I guess it, it did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but he was one of the last ones I came up with that I was Holyfield mm-hmm. and De La Hoya, yeah, and Pacquiao mm-hmm. were like the last three. Um, yeah, and I mean that that comes well, close to it, but it, it certainly wasn't as much like Tyson was must must see TV, and it wasn't on TV; yeah, it was pay per view. Um, uh-huh. but just like when we saw Cooney and, um, and Larry mm-hmm. Holmes, Holmes on a pay-per-view mm-hmm. and we went to New Brunswick and I, they were showing the fight from Las Vegas on pay-per-view and you paid whatever it was back then, 20, 20 bucks. And you got in yeah. and you saw basically a, uh, a, a simulcast of the, of the fight. Um, and Tyson's I- were like that. I remember people getting together and somebody would buy um 
the feed and we'd go <laughs> over to their house or their apartment. And so 10 of us were watching. Maybe we'd give them some bucks to, you know, split the cost of the of the thing. But they weren't getting 12 pops. They were getting, they were getting yeah. one pop and there were 12 of us watching. You know, that's, that's hilarious. Here do you, it. That's hilarious hearing you talk about that because I guess everybody around the country is the same way. I'm in Pittsburgh and oh, actually, some watch I was, parties. Yeah, I think I was in New York at the time, actually, both those fights. But I went to uh, Madison Square Garden to watch Holmes and Cooney on a big screen, just like you did. Yeah. And then I remember going to people's houses and everybody pitches in to watch the pay-per-view. So that's the way it used to be. And it's funny but, because, uh, like, relative – because we were kids then, and so relative – we're like, oh, yeah, that's a big pop for – that's why we were splitting it because we're like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. poor youngsters. And mm-hmm. But after a while, it was like, well, I mean, the fight is so short because he was just knocking – he came off. I mean, he – that's yeah. oh, but yeah. that was the part of the charm is he came out of the mm-hmm. ring throwing punches, mm-hmm. throwing his chair, throwing everything. Mm-hmm. He was going to knock the guy out in like 30 <laughs> seconds. And a lot yeah, of times he came to... close to doing that. Sure. Sure. We're going to get to Tyson a little bit about, here. Oh, I'm sorry. Nobody complained right. though, about it that, you know, we're paying all this money and this fight's over. I mean, you got the undercard right. and all that. Eh, who cares? So there might be one yeah. decent fight in that. But um, to watch Tyson was, it was still a show. 30 mm-hmm. seconds, Absolutely. three rounds. It yeah. was enough. Well, we're going to go back to Ollie again. The other historical fight for him was trying to win back his title from Big George Foreman. And Foreman came into the mm-hmm. fight, one of the scariest heavyweights ever. I mean, he literally nearly killed Joe Frazier, but Ollie showed no fear. And as we saw the fight we all know now, he created the rope dope as his defense, yeah. knocking out Foreman in eight rounds. For me, um, George Foreman. Uh, he was mistaken to fall for that strategy. He punched himself into fatigue, and then Ollie takes him out. And he just waited t- on Ollie to engage. I think Foreman may have knocked him out. Your thoughts on that fight? Yeah, strategically, um, obviously, he fell right right into the trap. I think I, I watched a show on that a, a documentary. I, I forget the name of it. A while back, um, maybe right after the last time we we did the podcast and I said, Oh, let me watch this. And it was well done. And they'd show, you know, uh, the reporters following obviously Foreman around when, when, uh, the guys were in Zaire and there was some delay, I think for some reason, uh, the fight was postponed for a while because of weather or something Mm -hmm. and logistics. And so these guys were like, not overtrained, but, um, but almost every tape you saw of Foreman, he would hit this heavy bag, and that's all he would do is sit there mm. and literally um, hit it until he was too tired to hit it anymore, until he punched Sheesh. himself out. And uh-huh. that was like sort of a prelude to how he fought in the, yeah. fought in the ring in mm-hmm. response to the rope-a-dope. Mm-hmm. All he was clearly putting himself on the rope where there was sort of a cushion to, sure. to the punches. You know, even if, if he hit him, he's going away from the, so he's absorbing mm-hmm. the blow partly by just um, using the ropes to be able to to move yeah. away. Um, and I guess that allowed him to not get literally killed. Although some of those shots to the rib look like they would do some damage, oh, but yeah. he was hitting his arms or something or his elbows, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Ollie was really good about getting in that defensive shell and luring him in and probably talk, you know, he was tr- probably talking smack to him the whole time. Like, oh yeah. 
Oh, you know he was. He said, yeah, I was, oh, I was telling him, is that all you got, George? Is that all you got? And probably some salty language in there I'm not going to use, but, um, you know, is that Uh all you got? And, and, and playing into his ego, insulting Mm -hmm. him, you know, insulting his manhood, literally. That's, that's all you got. I mean, and Foreman fell into it. He sure did. Yeah. And it, it cost him, but, uh, you know, Ali was a smart fighter. I mean, he, yeah. he just, he always could figure out a way to beat somebody. Even after he lost to somebody, he would come back in a rematch and be a different fighter because he learned mm-hmm. from it. Uh, but looking past Ali, Foreman and Frazier, who were probably the three best fighters in that division from that era, there were still some other great fighters, some of whom defeated these three we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. A fan of boxing from the 70s and 80s will remember these names vividly. Ken Norton, Ernie Shavers, yes. Ron Lyle, Chuck yeah. Wepner, mm-hmm. Jimmy Young, Larry Holmes, Leon Spinks, John Tate, Mike Weaver, Jerry Cooney, and, of course, Mike Tyson. In your opinion, Charles, has there ever been a group of heavyweights all fighting in the same time frame that good? No. And the thing is, like, you knew about even some of these. I, I mean, you're talking about maybe the heavyweights uh, that were – fifth or sixth rank but still really good fighters um a lot of them you mentioned i like i was a big fan of ken norton when Mm -hmm. he came up um and he almost came out of nowhere and it's like ah this big marine with you know obviously chiseled features i mean you're like physically this guy was imposing but he sort sort of had that um peekaboo uh defensive Mm -hmm uh style coming in you know trying to guard but then he'd punch out of it he'd get close he'd get in Mm -hmm. in tight and um i mean those shoulders the deltoids and the and the biceps he was a bodybuilder uh in a boxer's body uh, or bodybuilder's body in a boxer and Mm -hmm. he could throw some punches i mean he broke uh, ollie's jaw Mm -hmm. and so he was able to get in there um through Ollie's defenses, this is back in the time when Ollie was a pretty good fighter. And that's where yeah. he kind of uh, carved his niche was, here's a guy that, you know, so he's in there with the with the big guys. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the great fights were, um, you know, fights either this, the guy who was on top, top of the heap was a champ and was on the way down or had lost a fight and was trying to get back up to number one or, or a mm-hmm. fight with whoever was number one. And some of these other cats who were coming from, you know, sixth rank, seventh rank, eighth rank. Um, but we'd get a, I mean, Spinks, Leon Spinks. Uh, yeah. Now, Leon Spinks had, and this is another thing that brought me in um, to boxing was the 1980 Olympics, and I believe it was the 1984 Olympics. Those Olympic boxing teams um, really brought on a lot of, um, gave a lot of guys some uh, PR, some marketability. And they ended up being good fighters. Um, you can look at the list of, of guys. Um, I have it here somewhere. But um, the Howard Davises, the Sugar Ray Leonard's that came out of uh, those two years, just those two. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I was 21 following that. Um, and just the that tournament uh, format of how, how they determine gold, silver, and bronze, you know, mm-hmm. puts a lot of – uh, intensity on each fight and each guy you know gets to wave the flag if he's gold medal and and we want sure, everyone sure. to be gold medal winners but there were some guys that mm-hmm. you know maybe either got robbed by an official's um uh, 
or scores uh, bad judgment and didn't win the gold medal, but was a good professional fighter. So if you go through those two lists of um, just the U.S. team, a lot of those guys um, went on to great, decent professional careers. Um, maybe not yes. champions, but uh-huh. yeah, it's um, interesting you Howard mentioned Davis, that. I remember I really liked him. Yeah, he was a good fighter. He was like a um, lower level lightweight. Mm-hmm. Interesting, you remember the controversial decisions because I remember one now that just sparked my memory. There was one big one, and I can't remember who the fight was. That they yeah, an American said, was fighting a Korean, I think, a, a fighter. Yeah, it was yeah. a Korean judge, I think, that scored. Yeah. Like like what fight are you watching? It was so out of line yeah, with the others that exactly, um, you know. And I think and, one of yeah, and so the guy got robbed and almost got you know good um, sympathy mm-hmm. and uh, notoriety because he was obviously the better fighter and and got mm-hmm. and got robbed. And the lesson learned there is don't leave it in in the judges' hands. It's judges' like, hands, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, if you strike out looking in baseball, you you know we used to always tell guys coming back, don't <laughs> complain, don't put it in his hands. You know, with yeah. two strikes, expand the strike zone and and knock the exactly. ball into play. Do something. Swing up. Don't come swing back away, crying. Merrill. You left it. Yeah, you left it up to a guy who you don't trust. Uh, you know who's the idiot? <laughs> right. I'm going to have to look that up afterwards and, and put that on my website as part of an addendum to this this podcast, who that fight was, because now it sticks out. I remember that quite clearly. Um, and, and back then, Olympic Games used to be so much fun to watch. I mean, I, I they used were. to look forward to Olympic boxing, and I haven't watched it in 30 or 40 years because it's just it's not the same. But uh, no. yeah. yeah, that's lost its charm for, because it got uh, professional. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and college sports is getting like that now. So, you know, it's, it's that kind of has been permeated, permeated throughout the landscape of a lot of sports, but yeah, when, and I know we, we did it in response to, well, the Russians Mm -hmm. are sending professionals, quasi professionals, uh, in the NBA and, and they, when they beat us, it kind of kind of said, well, we got we, we have to match them. If they're sending professionals, we have to send them. They were mm-hmm. sending basically army people, uh, you know, people yeah. who were in there. Mm-hmm. Their army was probably one of the best jobs somebody could have unless they went to war. I'm trying well, to see if to... I could find who it was that got ripped off. I think I have. While you're looking that up, we can another topic for another day would be that yeah, 1972 ahead. Olympic gold medal game with Russia and the United States because I can remember that. Like it was mm, yesterday. I could still watch uh, the replay. Yeah, three different tries at it. Here, try again. Worst, Here, try worst again. ending of any basketball game I've ever seen. It was just ridiculous. Um, but that was one <laughs> of the – I mean, we weren't exactly pick. Uh, some of the best guys were not – Bill Walton mm-hmm. famously wouldn't sure. um, uh, wouldn't attend and wouldn't play for – so we yeah. had sort of a lesser, mm-hmm. lesser team not sending our best guys. A lot of people uh, – a couple of – uh, big stars sat out. I remember Doug Collins, though, was like almost mm-hmm. the hero of that. Um, yeah, that team, and he went on to a pretty good pro career. So I mean, we sent some some good players over there. It just didn't seem like they were on the same page with the coaches. Yeah. Um, I think it was Hank. Was it Hank Iba who was the coach um, of that team? But I think I can't remember. Bobby yeah. Knight, I think, was on the staff. Something like that. But anyway, yeah, they, I would, they sort of. Uh, I would have well, been all twelve years old, so 
don't remember that much. Yeah, I'd, I have remember to look, I'd have to look it up. Uh, but, but I know we're getting a little off topic, but look what happened this year, the world championships in basketball, the United States didn't even finish. I mean, that's embarrassing. Uh, and that's Which seems like we're gearing towards, <laughs> we don't want to lose the Olympic gold medal, but that off yeah. year, that off Olympic year, mm-hmm. that FIBA thing where now FIBA ranks right. who's the best basketball and, and we're like mm-hmm. fourth now or something because we don't, oh my gosh. that's where we don't get the best team. We get like, yeah. um, it's not even mm-hmm. like an all-star bench. It's guys who, who of the level NBA, they can't make the all-star team that want to maybe yeah. burnish their brand a little bit um go right. and and they get beat because europeans there's people that are in development that say that europeans are better at developing um productive basketball players than than mm-hmm. our style over here where we just throw out the balls and let them play and um, yeah. don't script plays they kind of go by you know by mm-hmm. feel and um it's it's just a different different dynamic now the rest of the world is clearly caught up though as far yeah. as player development especially like uh it was the croats and the yugoslavs always had good mm-hmm. good olympic teams and and now a sure. lot of their players are coming over here and um cashing in by playing at the nba level they could still play in europe yeah. but um mm-hmm. the stepping stone is europe to nba if, if if you're good enough if you draw interest yeah well i'm sure our listeners are saying hey wait what happened to boxing <laughs> i'm back sorry to yeah no it's it's fine i mean i love me. talking about all sports Segways. so I'm, I'm, I'm the same way but you had a funny story about the cooney holmes fight last time we spoke and you, and you want to rehash that charles about my ex-wife, I always love talking about yeah. her. Sure, is that the one? You're funny. I think so. You told well, her not to root for Coney or something. <laughs> well, seriously, that that fight was was tinged in race. Race. Um, uh, Cooney was yeah, like marketed absolutely. almost as, the, and he didn't like it. It wasn't mm-hmm. his choice as the Great White Hope. Mm-hmm. And you know, the thing was, well, America always needs a Great White Hope in boxing because they can't stand to have sure. a black champ. Well, I think a lot of people um, respected Larry Holmes. Because he wasn't Ali, and he was sort mm-hmm. of a you know a blue collar type champ, and so I think people liked Larry Holmes, and Larry Holmes was a likable guy. He didn't mm-hmm. play into that. He could no. have played into that and, and rallied people behind him, and he didn't embrace that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, America just wants to and and use it to fuel either himself or I think the um, the climate before the fight, and I think that's very that's. That's really admirable because Cooney didn't want it. Um, it probably ended up hurting him in the end. Um, he was a good fighter who had a puncher's chance against against Holmes, and it didn't work out. But if I remember, they went 15 rounds, which is what they used to fight yeah. back in the day. I know, Kitty. Actually, I think the fight was stopped in the 13th. Was it? Yeah, they, okay. yeah, they yeah. stopped him in the 13th. Yeah, yeah he went deep. Just, mm-hmm. Yeah, with with Acuna, you thought if he doesn't get him in the first three or four rounds, if he doesn't left hook him, yeah. um, Holmes is going to win, and that that's what prevailed. Yeah, yeah, he has a puncher's um, chance, and he well, did I, have I that. Told you, I told you the story last time that I was working in New York and I was on an elevator, crowded elevator, and one of my coworkers. We were going to lunch, and my coworker is like six foot one. I'm about five six or so at that time. And I look, glance out of the corner of my eye, and in the corner of the elevator is Jerry Cooney. Mm-hmm. So I nudge my, nudge my coworkers, hey, there's Jerry Cooney. 
So we get off the elevator and we say, hey, Jerry, how you doing? And I swear, Charles, that was the biggest dude I've ever seen. I yeah. was like, my God. Oh, yeah. I mean, he I'm a little a guy, man. but this guy looked like a giant. But he's very low key, very quiet, very low key. Um, and he just quietly said, how you guys doing? Shook our hands and everything. It was, it was really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I told you, him. I think I had a similar encounter with Michael Spinks after one of his fights. And that was a little more surreal. But to get back to my ex-wife, <laughs> the, when we were watching this fight, we're in Brunswick, um, Rutgers, I believe it was. And um, so we're sitting in the cheap seats. And... Um, I don't mean this in any kind of way, but we were um, probably with more African-Americans than, um, you know, you could see down at the, at the uh, closer to the screen levels. There was more, it was more of a white crowd. So we're obviously in, in Holmes country, Larry Holmes country. And my wife <laughs> loved Jerry Cooney and oh, is cheering gosh. vehemently for him. And I'm like, um, you might want to tone it down a little bit. We still have to get to the parking lot, get in our cars. <laughs> and we were getting looks. I mean, we were getting oh some looks. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, let's not get thrown over the, you know, the, the railing yeah, here. Right. Um, but I guess I didn't, you know, prepper, uh, on the ride over there well enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't wear, um, New York Giants gear when you go to Philly. Or right. vice versa, and I've seen how that goes um, mm-hmm. in the Meadowlands. Um, mm-hmm. You could be in the right, and you're going to get escorted out because you're wearing a Philly oh, yeah. uniform. And yeah. you know, you could cheer for your guy, but just you know, he wasn't doing all that much that I remember. To mm-hmm. I mean, she, she, anytime he swung, if he swung and missed, she thought something was happening, and I'm like, he hit <laughs> air, honey. Yeah. <laughs> so no, oh, I that, clearly didn't prep her well enough. Right. When that that Cooney Holmes fight went down, I should have I, I would have bet the house on Holmes because I knew he was a much better boxer than Cooney and went out class him, which he did. Knocked him out of the thirteenth. But there were two other shocking results from title fights that we're gonna we're gonna touch on. The first one is Big John Tate fighting Mike Weaver. I watched that fight and for fourteen rounds Tate was dominating Weaver. Tate was the champ. All he had to do was cruise through the fifteenth round, he would remain the champion. But Weaver caught Tate with a huge punch with just seconds to go in the bout, knocking the champ out cold. I don't know if you recall that fight. And if you did, Charles, no. what are your thoughts on that? Never saw I, that one. I didn't. I was, no, neither one of them. Uh, I mean, I knew Tate and I just, there was no connection with him mm-hmm. for, for me. Yeah. So I, I missed that one. Yeah. yeah. And There's I a think lot I might of good ones I missed. Yeah. And back then, even fights like this, they weren't on pay-per-view because they weren't huge names. So you were able to watch fights like this on TV. And and I watched that fight. I was just like, wow, this is this guy's got this fight easy. 14 rounds just cruised. And then he got lazy yeah. and sloppy in the, in the last round and one punch and it was over. It was crazy. He was you can see that one if you Google that as well. And he's just face down. I mean, he was out. Um crazy ending but the other Sometimes surprising wide, result wide world of sports would have those um fights on like yeah. a week's delay you'd mm-hmm. have it mm-hmm. well you know they already knew the result you already knew the result so sometimes you were interested just to see what actually happened instead of the still photos and yeah. sometimes not and and that may have been the case then where, where the you know the distribution how the fights are distributed mm-hmm. um was changing the landscape was changing there but um, I missed that one. I didn't. Yeah, I probably had no interest in that one. 
And things you keep mentioning all bring back memories of other things. Like when you mentioned Wild World of Sports, um, we used to have a great back then because we had Wild World of Sports, CBS Sports mm-hmm. Spectacular, and Sports World. But Wild yeah, World of Sports, remember that. see if you remember this, uh, Saturday afternoons, James Scott out of the Rahway State Prison. James Disappearing Scott, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. They used to put those I on Saturday afternoons. I used to live within a block of Rahway State Prison, literally. Really? And. The thing is, do you really want to live in, you know, next to a, they have lifers there. So wow. if, if there's an escape, are you worried? And I'm like, no, because I think when they escape, <laughs> their idea is to get as far away as, as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, they could stop at your house and take hostages, I suppose. But no, wow, we weren't that's worried. That's really but interesting. Yeah, I remember that was, he was a phenomenon. They had to go into the prison to fight him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's yep. crazy. That. Who would do that? Uh-huh. He had a lot of fun. Home court advantage. And he fought some big-name fighters, too. Um, I I forget the one fight I watched. It was a big name. But, yeah, it was was pretty interesting turning your TV on Saturday afternoon and you're inside a prison. Uh, Yeah. That's something you won't see again, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, Well, and the other – Like Bob Dylan did a song about a guy that was incarcerated wrongly. And he was a – Hurricane Hurricane. Carter, yeah. Hurricane Carter, yeah. He's probably sitting there going, well, man, I should have thought I could have kept fighting and mm-hmm. I could have had them come in. And, well, you know, the stars might have had to align for uh, for Carter, to, uh, uh, for Scott to do it. Mm-hmm. But and back in the day that like, nobody, you know, knew who Hurricane Carter was. So there was no right. no appeal, no marketing appeal. Well, for, for those story, who don't know, stuck I mean, with somebody. Yeah. Uh, and since we're on boxing, Hurricane Carter apparently was accused of a crime that he says he didn't commit. And he he had murdered. a lot of celebrities and politicians yeah, fighting for uh-huh, fighting for and him. And he finally did get, get exonerated, I, I think. He did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did. A lot of years later, but he did. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, that ruined his boxing career. Uh, but yeah. Uh, well, the other big surprising result was when a young fighter named Leon Spinks, who you mentioned before, he had just seven mm-hmm. fights under his belt, and he was awarded a shot at Muhammad Ali, the champion. And this was interesting because it was on, they thought it was such a, uh, a demeaning fight for Ali that they put it on regular television. They thought this was going to be a cruising fight. Yeah, it would be easy for him. Yeah, so it was on national television on a weeknight. A fight was expected to be so lopsided, it was on regular national television. I watched about <laughs> And like millions across the country, my jaw dropped when all he lost the decision, lost his belt. Leon Spinks' celebration did not last long, though, because just months later, there was a rematch and all he made Spinks look like an amateur. Uh, yep. Charles, your turn on this fight. Uh, somebody said the first round, and, and you don't know this in, except in hindsight, and it sounds like sour grapes, that he didn't take Spinks seriously, didn't train well, and got caught. Meaning Ali. That he just said, you know, I'll take this young pup and take him to the woodshed and cash my check and be done with it and it didn't happen and mm-hmm. so yeah quickly get the rematch which i think that's back then that's like written into the contract that if you beat the champ he gets a rematch um if it's the other way around not necessarily so i suppose but um that's like the champ's prerogative or something so he did sure. get the yeah the chance to to regain it uh real quick from him so mm-hmm. How long did Sphinx hold it? A couple of months? Yeah, I think it was from, I want to say March or April to September. The rematch was September. Yeah. 
<clears throat> so it wasn't. But, it was only a matter of five or six months. <laughs> but I watched I'm the rematch too, and it champ. was such a joke. Uh, the rematch. If I meet just... him on the subway again. I'm still calling him champ. <laughs> yeah, Meaning Leon Spinks. Yeah, and Michael uh, actually, was supposed to be the better passed. fighter, and, and Michael um, uh, eventually ran into Tyson. And it was one yep. of those things where you knew um, in the weigh-in and when they get, were getting the instructions mm-hmm. that we he was he didn't belong in the same ring with Tyson and he was going to mm-hmm. get hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we were watching that one and, and almost unanimously people were like, "He's scared. He's scared. Yeah, oh my he's going to get hurt." <laughs> uh, that, that, that's ahead. I was Mike Tyson, new a new breed of fighter, new cat. Um, I mean, eighty percent of his um, fights ended up in knockouts, uh, even higher than that. I think it was, I wrote it down because I was really impressed with the delineation between my favorite fighters. But he was at the top, and it was just that ferocity. And the the guy who was second, and also shared, I think, the same level of ferocity in his fights. See if you remember this name, Ray Boom Boom Mancini. So he. Yep. Like 80% of his fights ended in knockouts, and that's a high amount. If you get to the high 70s, that's a that's a a, a pretty good amount. But I mean, Tyson just had that um, that mix of 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 qualities in a fighter that really hadn't been seen before. Maybe you have to go back to maybe some of the old timers. Um, I don't. I see film of Dempsey, and they say you know he was like that. Um, but it's hard to capture on grainy black and white um, from that era uh, to capture the same thing as uh, what you see today um, at a box. And I, I, I tend to think they're, they're better athletically than um, the ones in the thirties on, on all levels. Um, so Tyson was just such a, such a force of nature. Um, the closest I could think of in terms of ferocity was Roberto Duran. Um, yeah. Hands of stone. And mm-hmm. he's another one. And he only knocked out like 67% of his fights ended in, in knockout. But he fought 119 times. Tyson fought uh, 56 times, less than half. So I don't know what that's all about. Like, did, you know, maybe Duran just had to fight uh, that many. Sugar Ray Leonard fought 40 times. You know, things like that. I mean, I have to think nowadays, especially, you only have so many so many fights in you. Um, some of these guys that didn't, Oscar De La Hoya only fought 45 times. Joe Frazier only only fought 37 times. Joe Frazier. Yeah. Yeah. And I would have thought it was just the opposite. I would have thought he'd have mm-hmm. fought like 50 or 60 times. So as I'm going through like my favorites list, things like the knockout rate, because, you know, Let's face it, you, a fight that ends in a, not a draw, but in a judge's decision, yeah, it, there's there's tension and all that, but I think most of me and my buddies, when we were watching fights, we wanted to see a knockout at some point. Early is fine. Um, you know, when guys just got wore down and, and went from the 10th to the 15th round just on on heart, um, the, the tank was empty. Yeah, you were going to see knockouts then because it was easier to knock it out. If the other guy had enough in his tank that he could he could throw a punch worthy of knocking somebody out. So sometimes you had two guys just hugging each other and dancing. Sure. You know, getting in a clinch and dancing. 
and to think around the turn of the century in 1900s, when it turned over to the 1900s, these guys used to fight bare knuckle and used to fight 72, yeah. 80, 90 rounds. I, mean, I don't know how they did it. I always yeah. marvel at that. I'm like, Ridiculous. how can you take a beating for that long? Three, it's like four a battle hours of, of attrition. Yeah. <laughs> one, one more thing about Tyson is that the dude was crazy. I mean, as we all know, not only did he bite off part of Evander Holyfield's ear mm -hmm. outside yeah. the ring. When I was living in New York, I remember him getting into a fight on the streets of New York with Mitch Blood Green and Tyson yeah. hit him once in the face. And the result was Green's eye disappearing. I mean, it, <laughs> the swelling was unbelievable. And Tyson was just an animal. And after fighting Jesse Ferguson on national television, he was being interviewed. And I remember him saying he was trying to drive Ferguson's nose up into his brain. I was that's <laughs> guy's out of his mind. I that's also what, paid for a ticket. Yeah, I paid for the ticket at Madison Square Garden to watch him fight Michael Spinks. All the fights I've ever watched, this was the one and only time I can recall seeing a fighter, just as you said, looking frightened at the start of the center of a ring before telling, be, while being told the rules of the fight. Fear was in his eyes. Uh, 90 sec 91 seconds later, he's knocked out. My friend yep. who went with me to that fight swore it was fixed. But watch it again, nope. and you'll see the eyes of Michael Spinks rolling back in his head from the punch Tyson landed. And I know you already yeah. spoke about this fight, Charles, but anything more to add to it? I mean, and I fell for, for Spinks at the time because I'm like, I, did you think he had a chance? No, I, th I thought um, Tyson was going to beat him. But that added a level of like, oh, my God, what is this guy doing in the ring? I mean, did did his handlers not sense mm -hmm. that he didn't think he had enough in him? Did Spinks just all of a sudden see that, that there wasn't a – because Spinks was a taller fighter, so he had some advantages. If I keep mm -hmm. him in distance, if I don't let him get mm -hmm. in, you know, maybe I have a I, – I stick and move like Ali. He had to do something like that. He either was not prepared. Um, his handlers didn't recognize the – and I'm, I suppose in a macho sport like that, uh, those guys are good at, at hiding that fear, either with, you know, words mm -hmm. or um, posture or whatever, um, just putting up a facade of false bravado. And maybe he fooled he fooled everybody up until the weigh-ins. I think it was, <laughs> even at the weigh-ins, I think it showed, if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. uh, that he mm -hmm. he just looked like he wanted no part of him. And here he mm -hmm. is at a weigh-in. So while the fight's pending. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I don't know, could, they obviously can't pull him, but um, that was one where if his handlers didn't have the towel ready to throw it in, they should have, because yeah, <laughs> he could have gotten seriously yeah. hurt, uh -huh. and he did. Yeah. He did, and, and that's, that's kind of sad. Yeah, and the same thing happened to Marvis Frazier. I don't know if you remember that fight when Tyson yes. fought him. Oh, my goodness. I thought he was going to snapped the guy's head off uh, unbelievable Who maybe was beating. fighting because it's the family business i don't know yeah. but he was a pretty good fighter uh, up and yeah. coming and just mm -hmm. met his level yeah yeah tyson practically yeah. killed him uh, i that's um, funny you bring i i forgot about no oh, yeah i forgot about uh, that one but yeah did the same thing to larry holmes i mean <laughs> and i like I mean, joe he, frazier so for his yeah. you know for his kid oh man and it was hard to watch him the way he beat Larry Holmes. I mean, he just knocked him out silly. I mean, unbelievable. But then in the end, Buster Douglas, as we all know, figured him out. And I think that was the beginning of the end for Tyson's career because at that point, um, Lennox yeah. Lewis gave him a terrible beating. Uh, so, yeah, yeah I didn't that was... watch that. But the, um, 
the Buster Douglas fight, but I think mm-hmm. we literally woke up and, you know, whatever uh, ESPN was was uh, probably giving the things overnight, but it was such a long shot. That, oh, Tyson's going to win that. They're over in Japan. Who cares? It's not on, you know, some pay-per-view I want to uh, pay for. And you saw it on, like, the ESPN uh, Sports Center. Um, mm-hmm. And here's a shocker. And I thought, oh, you got to be kidding. Buster yeah. Douglas, you know, knocks out Tyson. And I'm like, what? What did he yeah. have, food poisoning? And, you know, mm-hmm. or something like that. Eat some bad sushi or go in the ring and, and just was tapped out. I, What happened? He just yeah. He just mauled him. Well, and Buster Douglas, Douglas was kind of crazy too. You mentioned Mitch Green. I remember Mitch Green was mm-hmm. crazy, and those yep. street brawls between the—I think the one mm-hmm. is because uh, Tyson would refer to him as part of my French bitch Green, yeah. rather than Mitch Green. He would call him, "You're you'd be my bitch." You, uh. you know, and, uh, <laughs> Green was trying to get a fight with him to for a payday. Mm-hmm. And tried to go, uh, I think was trying to go Tyson, if I remember right. Because yep. I was in the tab- New York tabloids, ate that up. It was, oh, yeah. It was fun. It was like 4 o'clock in the morning, I think. Something like that. Um, yeah. But And actually, I think Mitch Green was a sparring partner for Holmes. Really? I think he sparred with Holmes mm-hmm. for some fight. I, I don't think it was the Tyson fight. Mm-hmm. Well, but I, I think, I he, think he could have Holmes. won that Buster Douglas fight. I think it was similar to the Leon, Leon Spinks-Ali fight, where Ali thought this was just going to be a walk in the park. I yeah. think he probably thought the same with Buster Douglas. And yeah. um, he was really brought back down to earth at that point. He thought he was just going to be able to punch his way through everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. But he was a great fighter, no doubt about it. So let's get out of I the heavyweight division. Bust, Go ahead. Buster Douglas's um, strength, I think, was that he could take – there's some guys that can inherently take a punch, so to mm-hmm. speak. There's glass jaws and guys that, you know, you mm-hmm. know if you tag them. Um, He's likely to go down, not even, mm-hmm. it doesn't even have to be your best shot. And there's some guys that are known as, you know, they can either cover well or, but when they get hit on or about the head, they just, I don't, it's not, it can't be a skill, but it's just, yeah. they're better able to, to handle taking a punch than other guys. And I think Buster what? Douglas was one of those guys, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could give you rounds against good quality punchers. Mm-hmm. And he probably was just able to withstand the first couple of rounds, which with Tyson, that was, you weathered the storm, one, two, three, rounds one, two, three, you had a shot. You, you could wear him down. I mean, uh, Tyson didn't did, knock I everybody think. out. I, you know, no. he had a lot of knockouts, but there were a lot of guys that went went the distance with him as well, even early yeah. on. Uh, James Tillis, I think, was one that, that made it all the way with him. Uh, several fights where he... He wasn't able to knock guys out, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when you think Tyson, you're going to think knockout. So um, let's move on to the middleweights. Uh, that's one other division we're going to cover. My favorite fighter of all time is the late Marvin Hagler. Marvin uh, I still, Hagler. still yes. can't believe he passed one away. One of mine. But when he's yeah. in his prime, he yeah. was a smaller version of Tyson. Nasty and just plain mean. He legally yeah, made, high made, up changed that. his name to Marvelous, and he was a destroyer. Yeah. Maybe the greatest middleweight. Middleweight ever, Charles, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, he's high on the knockout rate. Um, trying to look for somebody else I know. Well, he fought with Hearns was a middleweight because yeah. it was Hagler and Hearns. Oh, yeah, we're going to get to that fight. 
And both were about the same as far as knockout rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had they had a couple of fights. So um, those were the two of my favorites um, that I recognize as, as middleweights. But they had a good run. Mm-hmm. And both of those were good. Great, great fighters. I won't even say good. They were great fighters. You know, Hagler only lost three fights, but many experts are going to consider Carlos Monzon as the best in this division. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy, he lost mm-hmm. just three fights while winning 87. But more impressively, he held the title for seven long years. Okay. Carlos Monzon had 40, 14 title defenses. He faced 11 different fighters in those defenses. And while I like Hagler, you got to tip the hat to Monzon for an amazing career. But tragically, he died in a car accident in 1995. Yep. But even more of a travesty, for those who don't know Carlos Monzon, is 1988, he murdered his wife, the model Alicia Munez, and went to jail for homicide. So they let him out on a furlough, and that's when he had the car accident that ended his life. But oh boy. do you remember or any, can recall anything about Carlos Monzon, Charles? No, just the you know the more salacious off the outside the ring um, things that brought him to light. I, as as a fighter, no, I don't remember no. uh, his his fights being on on the TV or you know what whoever was broadcasting fights uh, that were not pay per view. Um, he was off the radar for me. Yeah, and I was too young to actually remember. I mean, I'm a I'm a history buff, and so anything mm-hmm. I know about Carlos Monzon is coming from research. Uh, unfortunately, I never got to see him fight either. I just know no. his record and what happened to his life and everything else. But I do know from reading, that, yeah, he was absolutely one of the best ever. And some of the fighters in the middleweight division during this era we're talking about had moved up to the division from lighter weights. The three most prominent names will be Thomas Hitman Hearns, you just mentioned, Sugar e. Leonard, yeah. and Roberto Duran. There are other familiar names as well in this division, called, uh, including John the Beast Mugabe, who in retirement oh, yeah. left behind a record of 42-7-1. And then there's also the rugged Vito Antifermo. Charles, your thoughts on the middleweight division and these fighters, as well as many, may, some others I may not have mentioned. I remember Mugabe. He was uh, because of the nickname. And, and I saw some of his fights. And, I mean, he was in with the guys like... Um, Tyson and and Hagler and that you knew the fights were going to be um they were not going to be boring they mm-hmm. were going to be entertaining and a lot of them were going to end in knockouts which was the formula for me and some of the brickheaded guys like me that I hung out with um, we were <laughs> I mean we were easy to please just give us some action you know yeah. put a little mm-hmm. effort into mm-hmm. it and knock the guy out yeah and everybody goes home happy except the guy that got knocked out and his hey. legion of fans. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that was the formula for us. Um, if a guy could do that, um, he ended up on my um, mm-hmm. top 12 list. I had 12 guys. The only yeah. guys I had that were low, I mean, Evander Holyfield only knocked out like two-thirds of his guys, mm-hmm. of his fights. Roberto Duran, surprisingly, was low in the knockout, and I would not have guessed that. Yeah. And I don't know if it's that he it was mostly his later fights where he wasn't knocking guys out. Cause I remember he was a force of nature type guy early in his career. And he just hung around until he was like 80 and he's still fighting. When I like, think Duran, he's, he's not your typical power puncher, but he will beat you down yeah. and, and he'll, he'll drag you out over a, a lengthy amount of rounds just and beat you silly for all those rounds. So yeah, you know, he wasn't one of those the- one punch knockout guys. The closest uh, parallel to what Ali did to Foreman, in my opinion, 
was what Sugar Ray Leonard did um, to Roberto Duran. In the second part. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Basically just, you know, taunting him and uh, uh, throwing his style of dancing mm-hmm. and sticking and moving, which was a little, almost 180 degrees opposed to what Duran was, was get in mm-hmm. here and fight like a man, right? Yeah. And you could almost see that playing out as they were fighting, mm-hmm. like, Sugar and he got it at the end of uh, the last fight. He was openly taunting Duran, right. and he knew he had him. Yeah. He had to know he had him. Um, but that reminds me. That's almost like a a close parallel to what Ali did to to mm-hmm. Foreman. I think as sure. close as you're going to get. And uh-huh. there are probably others that people can mention, but I I didn't see them. But yeah, um, well, for for listeners that didn't don't know weren't back there back then or didn't see these fights, I saw them both. And in the first fight, Sugar Ray Leonard made the decision that he's going to show Roberto Duran, I've got heart too. And he's going to yeah. fight him toe to toe. Yeah, he did. And that was a mistake. And so Duran beats him in the decision. The second time around, then Leonard says, okay, now I'm going to do it my way. And my just that easily is Roberto Duran's most embarrassing moment in his entire career because, mm-hmm. as no we mas. all know, he quit the fight. No mas. And I've never seen a fighter turn his back to the referee and say, I'm done. And because he, he only did that because Sugar Leonard he was completely him. embarrassing him. Um, yeah. Doing the, the fake left wind up punch and hit him with the other hand. Ebola. It, the bowl. It was, it was funny for Ray Leonard fans, but it wasn't funny for anybody like Roberto Duran. Nope. So, but uh, some of the classic fights of these middleweights, and you mentioned this one before, and the first one I'm going to bring up is Hagler Hearns because I watched that fight. Oh, for yeah. those of you listeners that have never seen this fight, go to Google and, and look it up because it only lasted three rounds, but it might be the greatest three rounds of boxing you'll ever see. Two wars. I think that yeah. Hearns had been fighting anyone else, they would have been knocked out. Your thoughts on this amazing fight, Charles? It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, it was like you knew you were going to see something like that um, because both guys were um, – just great fighters, great punchers, power punchers. And the only thing I, I said, if it gets down to power, just looking at the guy's build, um, Hagler's going to prevail. I thought from a skill standpoint, I thought they were, you know, roughly equal. And the only line of delineation between the two seemed to be, you know, Hagler from a physique standpoint uh, would be willing to, would be able to withstand the pounding. If it got into into that, them trading punches, which inevitably that's that's what it devolved into. And I mean, but it was just a great fight. It was obviously two guys showing that they were warriors, too. They mm-hmm. weren't just, you know, punchers, but they were going to stay in there and and certainly not uh, tap out and say no mas. <laughs> yeah, the interesting thing about that was uh... Hagler actually had it opened up a cut on his forehead and he went back to his corner and, and they were afraid that the fight was going to be stopped because of the bleeding. Mm-hmm. It kind of Blood put him into a, another gear because he came out for the third round and was like a, an animal. Yeah. Um, unbelievable fight, though. And That'll and do for it. Me, yeah. Thomas uh, Hitman Hearns, for me, he's one of the most underrated fighters in history. His right hand was just absolutely lethal. And all you do, need to do is ask Pepino Cuevas, who went to sleep from it, and one of the other mm. most shocking knockouts I have ever seen in all the years I've watched boxing was Roberto Duran. I always thought Roberto would be one of the – he is one of the toughest fights ever, especially in the lightweight division. But when he came to fight Thomas Hearns, 
Hitman landed one of the most beautiful right hands I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Put Durant on his face. His hands of stone felt like a tree and it had been chopped down. Your opinion of Thomas Hearns? I mean, that's probably the signature moment of his career. Um, but he, I mean, he had a, he fought a lot. Um, he knocked out a, a lot of guys, a high percentage of guys and good fighters. Um, so he didn't slow down when he got to the top of the heap, you know, just beating tomato cans early in his career. He was mm-hmm. knocking guys out cold. And yeah, when you take a guy like Duran, who's taken a lot of punches from a lot of guys because he fought a lot and didn't go down like that. That's it's shocking to see. It's yeah, like it is when when Foreman went down, when when. Mm-hmm you know, Ali chopped that tree down. You're like, just a shock. And the first time even Ali went down, you're like, oh my gosh. You know, you don't expect to see it because they yeah. were that good. Yeah. And yeah, I, I've watched that Hearns replay better. 15, 20 times I've watched the replay and, I, and it never gets oh, old. Yeah. I mean, it's just no. incredible. So anybody out there that hasn't seen it, please go Google it. Cause you, if you're Classic. a bird, the Rant fan, you'll be like, what? Uh, but where Roberto Duran was dominant in the lightweight division, perhaps one of the greatest lightweights in history for that area we're speaking about, it, I'd like to focus on some other great fighters. So I'll start with Alexis Arguello. Arguello uh, sadly oh, committed suicide yes. in 2009. Yeah. He was only 57 years old. But as a boxer, amazing. One of the great champions of all time. And that was until he ran into Aaron Pryor. Now, the first bout came on November 12th, 1982. The WBA title was on the line held by Arguello, and Pryor ended up knocking him out in the 14th round, one of the most brutal knockouts I've ever seen. Did you witness mm-hmm. this fight? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I saw I, I liked And I looked at my list, and I said of my favorites, I said, I know I'm missing somebody, and that's the guy. Mm-hmm. I liked watching Arguello fight. He was mm-hmm. very stylish. He was very, I mean, he was a great boxer, great um he had command of the ring, almost mm-hmm. like Ali, the, the yeah. same way that Ali did. Um, and so you knew you were going to get that every time. Aaron Pryor mm-hmm. was was gifted too. Yeah. I don't. I liked Arguello at the time better, but I remember Aaron Pryor was um, mm-hmm. was must see TV too. The and Hawk. I'm more like partial to lightweights because I think that was my weight class, and I would say. Mm-hmm. Could I get in there and trade with those guys? No. <laughs> no. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, the two I like fighters to watch had... the artistry. Yeah, absolutely. You know, those guys were, you say, the sweet science at the beginning. Mm-hmm. These yeah. guys knew the science. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, these two fighters had a rematch in 1983, and again, Pryor knocked them out again, this time in 10 rounds. But Argoyle would fight just four more times, finish his career with a record of 77 and 8. 62 knockouts, but for Pryor, he held the title for several years, retired with an impressive 39-1 and record with 35 knockouts. He, too, unfortunately passed away. His death was from a heart disease, 60 years old in 2016. But one fight in this division that will stand the test of time that had a most tragic ending is a guy you mentioned before, the story of Ray Mancini and Dooku Kim. Hmm. Mancini was a tough fighter with tons of heart, following the footsteps of his father, who was also a fine lightweight fighter, and then on November 13th, 1982, Mancini and Kim were fighting in Las Vegas in an extremely brutal fight. Mancini outlasted Kim, knocked him out in the 14th round, but Kim would be rushed to the hospital where he perished yeah. from his injuries. This deeply affected Mancini. While he won his yep. next four fights, he would finish his career with four consecutive losses, getting TKO'd in two of those. 
I'm sure you recall Dooku Kim fight. I just heard you mention that you did see that. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, too, obviously it, it stalled Mancini's career. And I loved Ray Boom Boom Mancini. That was mm-hmm. that was my guy. Um, and only 34 fights, 80% of them ended in uh, chaos. So that's top of the heap stuff. But that sort of kind of started the calls from, you know, various groups that boxing was too savage and needed to be legislated out. And I don't think they ever really got that, but the the sort of constant, you know, drumbeat of that started when, you know, this death in the ring that you didn't really see him because, like you said, he went to the hospital and you hear reports afterwards. So people act like, oh, they're showing deaths occurring on TV. Yeah, it led to yeah. his death. It did. It did. Um, and things like that have probably happened before where somebody died shortly after a fight because they took such a beating. But um, it has happened. not on this high level because he was mm-hmm. he was sort of an up and coming guy, a flashy guy. Um, and, yeah, he fought with his heart. He led with his heart. But, I mean, he sort of had that Ken Norton build where you don't want to see that guy coming at you in anger. You don't. And no. He knew what to do in the ring, and I I, and, didn't, I, I forgot that his father was a fighter too. But that's obviously yeah, he was yeah. in the family business, and yep, his yeah, his father was a lightweight as well. Yep, and you know I look back at that fight, and even after it happened, I said yeah, the referees had no business. The referee had no business letting this go as far as it did. Yeah, and, and Duke Kim's corner probably should have had more yeah, care yeah, about too. their fighter as well, and. Um, like we said, it affected Mancini, and I know for years he carried that, um, you know, that grief inside him. I know he went, yep. and I think he actually met with Duku Kim's mother and yeah, tried to apologize. And he felt terrible about it, so it's just an unfortunate incident. Yeah, and boxing. it's sad that his career was ruined, but it's it's mm-hmm. good that, from a human standpoint, that he felt that way, that he reacted sure. that way to it. Uh, he, he's I, a good I hate man. To see him leave the landscape, but um, right. Yeah. Well, he would have two more classic battles Mancini did with Livingstone Bramble. He lost them both, but this division was loaded back in those days with so many talented fighters. Yes. Now, one of my favorite fighters from this division was Hector Macho Camacho. And what yeah. attracted me ah, Camacho's style. Uh, that's another one. Camacho was great. I love oh, Hector. Yeah. Uh, his style was not a showboating for flashiness, but his speed. I mean, he was something to marvel at. Tragically, we have another boxing death here as Camacho was killed in a drive-by shooting in Puerto Rico in 2012. He was well-retired, 50 years old, but he left behind a fighting legacy that had him winning titles in 79 fights and losing just six times. Now, you got so excited about Macho here, Charles. What are your thoughts on uh, on Mr. Uh, Hector Camacho, who was one of my favorites? He was so stylish and um, exciting to watch. He put on a great show, but there was substance. It wasn't just show and, mm-hmm. you know, a little song, a little dance, a little seltzer down your pants. It was mm-hmm. There was substance to it, too. He was a great boxer. He, oh, he, he was. didn't have to do that to get um, attention, but it added to why you'd want to watch his fights because they were great mm-hmm. fights. He was a great fighter, no doubt about it. Yeah. The sweet oh, yeah. science, he, did. he was a scientist. Yep. 
Absolutely. And he didn't duck anybody. He fought all the top no. fighters. And I remember watching him fight Edwin Rosario. And Rosario nearly knocked him out, but Camacho still won the fight. Um, and he fought some of the best fighters, like I've said, and including our discussion in this podcast. And he fought Rosario, Julio Cesar Chavez, Roberto Duran, Sugar Leonard, mm-hmm. Danny Pazienza. Uh, so knowing this is one of your favorite divisions, Charles, who are some of your favorites? Oh, the guys you mentioned that didn't make my list. All all of these guys. Um, but I mean, Mancini was 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 the um, was the guy I kind of would have identified as being me if I could be a boxer. I I would want to be like Boom Boom Mancini, but um, so I personally identified with him. The other guys you mentioned were all great to watch. A lot of times because they weren't only fighting for themselves, but um, they were fighting for their, their country. There was a nationalist Mm -hmm. thing to it. I know a lot of people say, well, that's bad to, you know, we shouldn't cheer for Americans just because they're Americans. But these guys take that to heart. If they're, you know, if it's a Puerto Rican fighting against a Mexican fighter, Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. feel like they're, they're representing their country. And they really, Mm -hmm. they really take it to heart and it adds something to, um, the level of fight they bring to to the mm-hmm. ring, um, and I always enjoyed watching the fights because you knew you were going to get your money's worth out of absolutely. You know, if you're sitting in front of your TV, you're not paying; you're paying the electric bill. But mm-hmm. if you're paying for pay per view, um, you want to know who the fighters are. Um, you want to make sure you're going to get a guy who's in there, you know, giving it a hundred hundred and well, hundred percent mm-hmm. the max you can give. I always hate people that say. I'll give 110%, but that are going to give you a show that are going to be competent, you know, as boxers um, and their opponents good, you know, matching two good opponents together. And I, I remember I was in the Coast Guard at the time of this Camacho and Rosario fight on a ship, and there was two shipmates of mine, both from Puerto Rico, but one was, I think, living in New York or, or from New York. And, um, Evan Rosario is straight out of Puerto Rico, Camacho, who grew up elsewhere. And I remember these two shipmates of mine going at it, arguing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one was calling Camacho a New Yorican. The other one said he's not a real Puerto Rican. And the other guy, and they would battle each other before the fight. It was it was kind of funny to listen to. Uh, but, it gets yeah. serious. Yeah, it does. I'll tell it you. Does. It, it really does. Because we used to coach a, a team in um, one of these youth leagues, not, not Little League, but. Um, Pony League. It was Pony League ball in this neighborhood that um, there was a, a lot of Hispanic um, families in it. And the thing was, they came from different countries. There was, you know, Puerto Ricans, Mexicans, um, Venezuelans. Um, and it was almost like, like a little United Nations. And when, mm. you know, kid from, sometimes they bring little flags and you know, yay, yay for <laughs> Puerto Rico. I mean, they're proud. Yeah, they're proud of of their kids. If there's a tradition mm-hmm. of you know great catchers coming out of Puerto Rico, <clears throat> if a kid's a catcher and he's he's Puerto Rican, he's he's trying to you know defend the legacy that mm-hmm. his country is built. Um, sure. And they feel that they feel that for real. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're you know too not broken up, but um, too diverse. And too large that uh, kids don't have that same identification. Maybe they just don't know history well enough. But um, sure, 
So that's why I kind of like those fights. I think where I got sidetracked with the lightweights is the local guys. Um, I think I mentioned uh, a guy that I coached with had a mm-hmm. uh, stable of fighters. And from one of them, they split up uh, the stable in two. But one of them got Winky Wright, who was oh, yeah, never really remember, got yeah. to the top. But, yeah, he had some some shots at the title. I don't think he ever won the title. Um, and Diamond Dave Sandoz. And they, they were both mm-hmm. electric flamboyant um stylish fighters uh you know but now i can't i can't even say david santos had punch he could knock you out winky wright was he was not gonna and that i think proved to be his downfall as far as getting to the top was he'd have to uh dance his way through 12 rounds i think by then it's they were 12 round fights and get the decision and that's always a risky to rely on judges Mm -hmm. Um, especially in high-level fights, because you never know. You never know who's on the take. Um, sure. So it would hurt his advancement, but they were fun to watch. They had a local um, connection. So, you know, I was rooting for my buddies, either mm-hmm. guy that was in his stable that he trained or mm-hmm. um, or an ex-guy that uh, he knew was going to, he knew it was going to do well because th- those were basically the two headliners. And when they split, one got one and one got the other. Yeah. And it didn't really matter too much. Well, I never personally knew any professional boxers, but hailing from Pittsburgh, I guess Pittsburgh's biggest claim to fame in the boxing sport of boxing would be Billy Kahn, yeah. who was born and raised in Pittsburgh and fought Joe Lewis, nearly beat him for the title. One would mm-hmm. have been one of the biggest upsets ever. But uh, so. The thing with um, following those guys is, and yeah. the good thing about it is, I got to see those fights. Uh, a couple of those guys fight locally, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. my friends, you know, sta- stable of fighters. They'd have a couple of guys fighting. The other guy would have a couple of guys fighting, and they bring these guys from all over to fight them. And you realize the seriousness of boxing when you're like literally right below in one of the first few rows because they didn't sell a lot of tickets. So mm-hmm. we were basically in the, in the front row you because you were standing outside your seats. And to see a guy get knocked out and you use the term, his eyes roll back in his head mm-hmm. and you know he's out and you mm-hmm. also know at that point it might be serious. Yeah. Um, to see that within like a couple of feet of you, no. you know, when a guy gets knocked out and you can see as he's falling, literally. Yeah. His mm-hmm. his eyes rolling back, and then his his head might hit the canvas, and you realize the savagery of it, mm-hmm. and how how serious it is. Um, yeah. And I always wonder how a guy could go into a ring like we say. Well, Tyson must have got um, overconfident, mm-hmm. and Ali must have got overconfident when he faced Spinks and took him lightly. When you see stuff like that, I maybe it's because I never took those kind of hits and never you know, felt that kind of, uh, what that means, but it's inducing a knockout is inducing a concussion. And we know from football, how serious, you know, a series of those are, or can be later in life. And I know these guys say, well, I'll trade, you know, 10 years off my life. I'm going to make some money now. That's. Well, a lot of people Um, have the theory that that's what happened to Muhammad Ali, that he took so many punches over his career that put him in the condition that he had. But just Parkinson's, but I don't know that, you know, punching would have brought that on, but who knows. Um, But 
In the lightweight division, finally, I mentioned Julio Cesar Chavez, and incredibly, mm-hmm. this guy fought for 25 years. He won 107 yep. fights. He lost just six. Camacho fought for 30 years. The Paz, Vinny Pazienza, the Tasmanian Devil, was a lot of fun to watch. And then there was Sweet Pernell, Sweet Pete yes. Whitaker. Uh, final thoughts on the lightweight division. That was, you know, other than the heavyweights, which obviously that that was always my favorite because because of the theater and the notoriety they got in the country. I I don't think um, the little guys, as they said, the lightweights would ever get um, that sort of attention. But they were my favorite because, like I said, I I could identify with that more than, more than a heavyweight. I don't know what it's like to be that big and have that much force behind my punch, but. I'd like to think that I could learn how to uh, be a boxer and and do it like a guy like Boom Boom Mancini without without the punching power and probably without to be honest if I'm being honest which I should be I I wouldn't have the heart of a guy like that the heart of a lion I like to think I could gear myself up to that level and maybe in some ways some things I'm passionate about I could but in boxing I don't think I ever could um and that's why I admire it because it's it's something I don't think I could ever do. Yeah. And so, you know, like hit a 450 foot home run uh, off yeah. a 95 mile an hour <laughs> fastball. I think I was a good player, a decent player, but I don't think I ever could gear it up to that. Um, yeah. To that level, and that's at, that's what I tend to admire. Sure. And I hear you on that because back in high school, a friend of mine, I decided to take up boxing and I got through a couple of days training. I'm like, oh my God, these guys train hard. Yeah. Um, and I knew, I started to question, do I really think I can take it hit in the face? So no. a funny story related to that is when I was in the Coast Guard, we used to have these uh, boxing matches on, on the fantail of the ship um, for fun, but they use like I think they were bigger than 16-ounce gloves. And so a friend of mine on the ship and I decided to go at it, and I got a thumb in the eye, and my eyes just immediately started swelling up and getting watery. And I was like, okay, I'm done with this sport. (laughs) And uh, another funny story was we had this um, old uh, chief warrant officer, been in the military forever, and this young uh, ensign. They came out and they wanted to fight. And the ensign was like all flashy and thought he was cool. And he's going to take on this seahorse veteran. And they got out there and the way they just took stance, the old man just flat footed, hands up. And the other guy's like trying to dance around young kid, 25 <laughs> years old. I said, this is going to end real ugly. And sure enough, <laughs> this chief warrant officer hit him so hard. His headgear spun around the other way and oh he was on the ground. <laughs> And everybody on the ship was laughing, including the executive officer. It was the funniest thing ever. So, yeah, you got to be tough to be a, to be a boxer. You definitely no got to have a lot of heart and know how to take pain. No doubt about it. So, uh, the final division I want to bring up, Charles, is the featherweights. I included this division because of just one man, and that would be Salvador Sanchez. In my opinion, he was one of the greatest pure boxers I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. He absolutely dismantled a great fighter in Wilfredo Gomez in one of the most impressive displays of boxing I've ever seen. And incredibly and tragically, just like Carlos Monzon previously mentioned, Sanchez died in a car accident. Hard to believe just months before this was the Dooku Kim nightmare. And he was in the prime of his career, unlike Monzon. At the time of his death, he had just one loss, a split decision to Antonio Becerra in 1977. When he died, 
His record was 44 and one with 32 knockouts. Do you remember Charles uh, Salvador Sanchez, Charles, and, and your opinion of him? No, no, he's he's was off my radar. I think that division was, um, they just didn't get the, um, they were probably never the headliner. Uh, they'd be maybe on a card with uh, a decent heavyweight fight or something like that. Mm-hmm. So they, if if they were showing the undercard, if whatever the broadcast was showing the undercard, and they, um, and Sanchez was on it, I missed it. Yeah. Well, I, I was such. A it was hard for that fan. division to get sure. to get um, to get mm-hmm. play. Uh, I can't even remember how I saw the fight, but I just know back then I was such a huge boxing fan. I was watching so much boxing, and that's how I caught mm-hmm. that. And and one final note on Sanchez for those who don't know him: had he not lost his life in that accident, he was, he probably would have been considered the greatest featherweight in history because he was unable to fill a complete career, and he would have probably held that notion had he did. He beat the best fighters of the era, some convincingly. He defeated guys like Felix Trinidad Sr., Danny Little Red Lopez, Juan Escobar, Ruben Castillo, Juan Laporte, uh, Wilfredo Gomez, as I mentioned, and his final bout, Azuma Nelson, who was one of the best divisions in 1982. Um, I know you didn't have much to say about the featherweights, but any final thoughts on these on the featherweight division? I, Felix Trinidad, I remember seeing a couple of his fights, and, and mm-hmm. I thought he was, a, you know, same like um, – like the lightweights there it's a it's a style i um i would most identify with so he i thought he was a good fighter mm-hmm. yeah well to put a ribbon on this podcast i'd like to finish with some of the records of these fighters we've discussed i know you've been uh throwing some out i got there. some of them yeah and heavyweight division all retired 56 and 5 37 knockouts george foreman Many know about his comeback at a much later age and winning the title from Michael Moore, which was another shocking fight, knocking him out in the 10th round at age 45, 1994. Foreman finally retired in 97 after losing Shannon Briggs, age of 48, 76-5. Foreman at 48 and winning a title that same year at 48 in 1997, his last fight. He was 48. He beat Lou Savarese. Uh, Is that one of the most incredible boxing moments you've ever seen, Michael Moore getting knocked out? against an old man no i i don't remember seeing that either so um but yeah that would be shocking usually the guys that hang around are hanging around for all the wrong reasons um you know like like duran and they're Mm -hmm. looking for an ungraceful exit you know to the sport as a result so the guys that got in and got out you know like uh, Sugar Ray Leonard only fought 40 fights. Sure. I would have never guessed that. I thought mm-hmm. because he was, you know, top tier, must see TV. I thought it was more fights than that. I was shocked to see he only, he was at 40. Um, yeah, and, and a note on Leonard is, um, like you said, he knew when to get out. Uh, yeah. This, this guy was extremely smart with his money, with his businesses. Yeah. Everything. Um, so yeah, everything. He, it seems like he had the PR game figured out before mm-hmm, everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the quote unquote um, I'm building a brand. I, I mean, they yeah. didn't refer to it like that back then, mm-hmm. but that's what they were doing. Now that's the the way of the world. And yeah. the other one was De, De La Hoya only fought thirty uh, forty five fights, thirty nine and mm-hmm. six. Mm-hmm. And part of me wants to say, oh, these are the two you know 
pretty boys of the day of the division <laughs> and they didn't want they didn't want to get their hair messed up too much going yeah. into retirement but you know they did their thing they they built a legacy they were both great fighters um great punchers um there's almost nothing you could say uh about them that was that was bad and so they did their thing and they got in they got out they got their health yep. they got their money you know because guys like that were fortunate that the purses were such that yeah. Probably that they didn't have to hang around a lot. Yeah. In forty and fights, now, they made a ton of ton of money, and they they go out with their health. Yeah, and now Oscar De La Hoya is promoting fights, so he's making more money anyway without yeah. even fighting. Yeah, on the right end now. The stick, yeah. he knows. Well, some other impressive records uh, are that of Jerry Cooney, and despite never being a champion, he lost just three times in thirty-one fights, knocking yeah. out twenty-four of his twenty-eight opponents. Joe Frazier only lost four times in thirty-seven bouts. Yes. Larry Holmes, an underrated champion, winning 69 times, losing just six. And then Big John Tate just lost three of his fights. Unfortunately for him, that was that one devastating loss to Mike Weaver. He lost 18 mm-hmm. times, 60 fights. But we mentioned Carlos Monzon, loser of just three out of 99 fights. And Marvin Hagler dropped three in 67. Roberto Duran fought an incredible 33 years, 1968 to his last fight in 2001. Julio Cesar Chavez mentioned before, 107 fights, losing just six. But the highest winning percentage of all the fighters from on our list was that of Aaron Pryor. He won at a 97.5% clip. One fight, wow. just one loss in 40 fights. But not far behind him, Salvador Sanchez, he won at 95.7%, taking every fight of 46 except one. And then George Foreman would have the third highest winning percentage at 93.8 with 76 victories, five losses, no draws. So mm-hmm. final thoughts on our discussion on boxing, 70s and 80s, Charles. It's on you. You know, st- to me, it's it's still the. I wish it was publicized more. That especially the heavyweight division. It seems like there's not too mer- many Americans in the mix lately, and the champions are, you know, maybe coming from uh, all ends of the globe, and maybe that's uh, killed the interest from from TV or whoever would would broadcast that stuff. But you know, you would think some cable outlet would or some channel could be developed that these guys could get regular promotion um in really all the weight classes i don't i don't see you know why there couldn't be a niche uh channel that that could broadcast this sort of stuff and it was somebody would develop it i mean there's i mean they're they're promote you could develop a channel to to watch youth baseball and as much as i love youth baseball i think Hmm. Do they need to be on TV all the time and having parents, you know, uh, chasing that allure for their kid that that he was on, you know, some cable outlet from, that 25 people are watching like me? Um, because it's it's something that I should be interested in, but they they could do that for the sport, and I don't know who would do that, who's incentivized to do it. Um, sure, but it has has to be a group of people, but. Um, Maybe it's the MMA thing uh, that that's you know pushed boxing to to the back of the room, so to speak, where there there's just less bandwidth for for things like that, and say ah we got MMA and people seem to dig that more, and that's oh, supposedly yeah. safer. I don't. Well, know. it's funny you mentioned MMA because I used to still watch it a little bit, but yeah. for years I've been a big big fan. But the the way that 
that Dana White is running the UFC, it turned me off. He's allowing these guys to come on and act like clowns. Yeah, um, it's become more like wrestling. Yeah, and, and they actually they signed a deal with the WWE. Yeah. So they've combined forces, which is only going to hurt that sport even more um, because now yeah, it's a clown show. Yeah, that's kind of pushed boxing to the, to the rear of the room. Um, mm-hmm. And it's sad. I, I'd still like to see it, but it's just not available. Well, I think that uh, boxing is making a slight comeback now. Tyson Fury just mm-hmm. signed to fight this Russian guy, Yursik. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but he's yeah. undefeated. That's going to be a great fight at the end of the year. Um, and uh, Canelo Alvarez just fought this guy. He moved up Chernello from a different division. And um, Alvarez may be one of the greatest fighters in the last 20 years. I mean, this guy is just dominating everybody. So they're trying to make a little bit of a comeback. Um, but, you know, and I, I sometimes a- wonder if if the lack of play is because, you know, boxing has always been considered uh, the way out of poverty. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the stars and whatnot are kids that come from impoverished situations. And if mm-hmm. that's why there's not that. And, you know, it almost seems like the guys like Sugar Ray Leonard and, uh, and Oscar De La Hoya who come out of mm-hmm. that, who rise to the top of that. You're like, wow! How did they even get involved in boxing? That sure. you know, he seems to, mm-hmm. and Sugar Ray Leonard, I guess, um, too squeaky clean. Why? Why are they not like CEOs of companies or something? Yeah. Or, exactly. <laughs> or exactly. vice presidents of something, something. Um, what are they doing in boxing? You know, and maybe well, that's some of the where mm-hmm. it doesn't have the glitz and glamour that TV wants. Yeah. Um, there is a, a guy on Twitter I follow and it's super sports seventies and he'll post old mm-hmm. stuff from the seventies. And, um, most of his stuff though is football, baseball, and it, you know, maybe he needs to get some boxing stuff up there as well. Yeah. Um, maybe if he doesn't do it, I will, but cause that was just, yeah. Uh, I mean, you and me both, I said it before the seventies, mostly the seventies and then part of the eighties, those were two of the best decades ever to be yeah. a sports fan for any sport football baseball boxing um hockey they were all basketball they were all great they had all great players and i would probably bet that there's a lot of hall of famers in each one of those respective sports that played in that era mm-hmm. um, a lot of guys are in the hall of fame from those years in all sports uh, but it, the other thing i was just going to mention before when you mentioned the little league baseball is that and getting more of it on television. Well, if they had a Little League World Series like this year's going oh on God. all the time, <laughs> there'd be a tremendous following. That was just an instant classic. Um, yeah. And I actually put that on uh, a couple of my sites because it was just an unbelievable moment how that game was won by that kid hitting that home run. Uh, incredible. Yeah, they've they've put – by expanding that and – you would think, well, you know, it's going to get diluted and people are going to be like, ah, it's too much. Um, they've hit all the notes, it seems like. Then the, the games come through and it's kids and it's, you know, they capture those moments where the coach is the good coach, not the um, the ones that get on, um, what is it, not Instagram, where you see them arguing with uh, – with um, umpires and being obscene and, you know, yelling at kids. And Mm -hmm. trust me, I umpired games and there's some of them you'd like to just grab by the lapels and say, why are you coaching? You should not be coaching. There should be a law against you coaching. 
And I, this goes back. But the Little League World Series captured that, captures that. Yeah, um, absolutely. But you mentioned what's good that, about it. Character like that. And I'll tell you, when I was about 12, 13, 14 years old, I was at a Little League baseball game and this father of one of the players did not like the way the coach was coached. They got an argument <laughs> and they actually threw a punch at the guy. And I clearly oh remember God. he broke his finger on this guy's face. And I was like, how yeah. stupid it. And this was 1970s. So it's not something I forget that's new. What, there's this basketball coach that has a little riff on Instagram he, about his kid came up to him complaining about his basketball coach. And he's like a division one, I, I think the mm-hmm. Kansas state coach, tough guy, like tough um, uh, facade. And he says, his dad, uh, the kid comes up to him and asks him the, I guess is saying, can you intervene? And he says, don't talk to me. I'm not your coach. You talk to your coach about what you need to do to get more playing time. It was about playing time, that that kind of thing. Wow. I'm not going to, you know, there's a guy who's giving of his time, probably isn't getting paid anything. And if he's getting paid anything, he's getting paid peanuts. And I'm not going to throw my weight around on a guy like that who's volunteering his time to make you better. You go talk to him. He'll tell you what, what you need to do to get better, to earn more playing time. And you listen to what he says and do it. I'm not your coach. I'm your dad. If someone disrespects you, someone tries to harm you, I will step in. But I'm not going to be your coach. I'm not your coach. I coach wow. a Division One team. Jeez. When you get there, I'll coach you. And it, it was, it's what you know. Other parents need to hear. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, why are these parents yelling at a guy that's rough in a game? You mm-hmm. think these guys wake up? I've said this a million times. You think mm-hmm. these guys wake up in the morning and go? And go to the gym and say, "All right, what twelve-year-old can I screw over today?" Yeah, <laughs> you know uh, they're doing the best they can. Deal absolutely. with absolutely. It. It's absolutely. not going to mean anything in the grand scheme of things. People are going to mm-hmm. forget this game's, you know, two or three days down the road. You should do the same. Right. Just shake it off. It's not going to mean anything in the grand scheme. If you're good enough, you'll be all right. Exactly. If you're and not, think, don't blame the refs. Uh huh. Don't uh, bl- think, blame your coach. These days, as opposed to when we were growing up, the the true meaning of sport has gotten lost uh, over yeah. money, over fame, um, you know, over wanting to to win at all costs. And mm-hmm. It's crazy. And again, like I said, we grew up in a great era. So, well, yeah, Charles Slavic, I want to yes, thank sir. you again for being a guest of Total Sports Recall. This has been a fun trip down memory lane for one of the oldest You might have to Earth. cut this into two episodes. We went <laughs> over. Uh, that's all right. It's all it's good. The topic. That's all it's good. The topic. Boxing's been known as the pugilism, the Marcus Queenberry rules. There's a report of documentation indicating this sport dates back to as early as the 6th millennium B.C., and going back to the 1800s, there was bare-knuckle boxing before gloves were introduced. And now in 2023, we've had a revival of bare-knuckle boxing, which many UFC fighters have switched over to. And it's ridiculous. I mean, it's going to get somebody yeah. killed. Yeah. If you want to see real blood, that's a sport to mm. go see. But we hope you enjoyed the show, everybody. This uh, And welcome any comments, suggestions of future shows. Uh, bring them yeah. on to Total Sports Recall. The official email is totalsportsrecall at gmail.com. You can also reach me at my Twitter handle at TSRHar59. The Total Sports Recall podcast will return next weekend with another show, and the topic will, reveal, will be revealed later this week on my Twitter page. Once again, for Charles Slavic, this is your host, Harv Aronson, wishing all a great week ahead. And until next time, enjoy whatever sport you may be watching or following. Yes, Have sir. a great week. Let's do it again.
Thanks.